I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Audio Media presents The Patron Saint of Suicides Created by Alex Dolan It felt like a funeral when we left. Can you blame them? They were back at his office, still in their suits. I'll admit, it felt good to ditch the uniform. You'll be able to ditch it for good one day. Are you promoting me? I'm seeing into your future. Blossom stood at the whiteboard, having just jotted down the names of everyone they'd met. His marker hovered over Paul. Did you say Paul seemed a little too happy to hear about the two new deaths? Like it was his birthday. Remind me which one Paul was. White guy. Hedge fund dude. Got it. He found the corresponding photo of Paul and tacked it to the cork. Blossom wrote survivors above the names and images. The hedge fund guy's photo, pulled from his Facebook profile, showed him on a fishing boat, toasting the camera with a beer in his hand and a cigar in his mouth. Lynn's photo was a studio headshot, the same one she used for a provider's profile in the Kaiser directory. Lynn Jackson, age 38, volunteers to run this survivor group. Do we know why this crime is so important to her? She's run several groups like this in the past. She's a survivor herself. Abusive marriage. I think this kind of work is in her blood. Clementa Ibarra, 51. Teacher at Roosevelt. She told me sometimes she hates those kids, but I think she was just venting. Her profile photo appeared a few years old, cropped a little too tight to her face, but she still had the same kind eyes. I liked her. You mean you liked her? No, not for the crime. I thought she seemed like a good person. Hmm. 
Paul seems angry. Goes to group because it's the only place he feels like he can talk about the shooting. He's embarrassed that he got shot at all. Embarrassed? Yeah. Got shot in the ass. And he feels like if he brings it up to the guys he works with, they'll just make fun of him. Given the average hedge fund guy I've met, he might be right. Part of me thought you'd laugh when I told you. You really think I'm that guy? The man got shot. I don't think it's funny. Although, he could have chosen a profile pic that made him look like less of an asshole. Agreed. What about Wesley Pope? 34 years old. Gaming illustrator. Street artist. Doesn't like cops. One of the robbers recognized him on the train. So, known by at least one of the perps, possibly more, claims to have not known any of them. You believe him? Not sure. Blossom pointed to the next photo. Laverne Beckett. 36, scientist. Her husband was killed in the shooting, and she's stuck as a single mom working a full-time career. She's quiet about it, but she's angry. Enough to do anything about it? Hard to say. Diego Quezada, 27, sports marketing executive. Jackass. Doesn't make the best first impression. But he did lose his fiance, and he got shot himself. He strike you as the revenge type? I wouldn't rule it out. But I'd need to know more. You like that answer. I don't like to jump to conclusions. He pointed to the last photo in the column of survivors. Haven Otomo, 28, comic, lost a lot that night. You know her dad killed himself when she was four, and she found the body. Shit. Her dad was Toby Gensler. Seriously? Gibson looked at the photo, noting the difference in the woman's ethnicity from her father. So the mom... Japanese. Got it. When she's not performing, she spends her spare nights patrolling the Golden Gate Bridge to talk down jumpers. That's her? You've heard of her? You haven't? No. She's kind of famous. Not around these parts. <sighs> Hold on. Detective Fennel stood in the threshold with his goober smile. His suits never fitted him properly. They cropped his body in a way that made him look like he was born without a neck. Gibson pointed at the corkboard. Do you know her, Haven Otomo? That girl? I do. See? You mean you never heard of her? She's a legend. They call her the Golden Gate Angel. She's been walking that bridge for the past two years. She saved over 30 people. Down at the station by the bridge, they keep count on a board like this one. She's there every night? They I don't know a calendar. Let's check the bridge footage of those two nights to see if she shows up. Fennel continued to stare at the boards, examining the photos. They included all of the members of Lynn Jackson's survivors group. The two young men who were shot and killed on March 25, 2015. The two young men who had recently died on Oakland train tracks. As well as a few other photos of people who had been impacted by the 2015 shooting. Fennel fixated on three photos in the far left corner of the board. Police officers. Hey, what are you doing with cops on your board? There were three cops on the platform on March 25th. Officer Jim Keller was shot and killed. This is a board of suspects. This is everyone with a connection to the BART shooting on March 25th, 2015. You shouldn't have cops on that board. You should know better. Thank you for your advice, Detective. Fennel remained in the doorway, possibly to see if they would remove the photos. Blossom ignored him until he left. Why did you bring him down here? He was the first person I found. Do we need to worry about that? Right now, I have no reason to believe that the two surviving officers are involved. 
or that the family of Jim Keller is involved. But it's important we consider every possibility. Are folks going to get mad at us? You shouldn't be thinking about them. What are you thinking about? I'm wondering what made them kneel. How's that? Say you're one of these two men, Kevin Ocampo or Sutton Chambers. You don't have any injuries. You're not backed against a wall. The witnesses claim they didn't see other people around when the trains were coming. So what makes you stop, kneel down, and wait for the thing to mow you down? I don't know. That's what we should be thinking about. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. It's a cold room tonight at the punchline. And I'm especially miffed because I've got people in the audience. I look like a fool up here. I try out a new joke. I've been living in cities too long. The thing about living in a city is that you become numb to weird behavior. I'm almost delighted by it. 
You know when you're in the woods and you see a deer? You stare at it and stay still as long as you can so you don't scare it away? Well, think that, but instead of a deer, it's a naked guy on bath salts. It kind of lands, but not like I'd hoped. I think I must be putting off weird energy. Nothing to do but my time and get off the stage. The good news is that it's a short set. I don't even have MC duties, so I can get the hell out of here relatively soon. Wesley is waiting for me at the bar. It doesn't always go like that. I thought you were good. Oh, you're being nice. No, I'm not. I thought it was a solid set in a crappy room. You're sweet. I kiss him. Let's get out of here. We move around the perimeter of the room and slip out onto the Embarcadero roof deck. I walk to the edge of the roof, where we can have a private moment and take in the city lights. We press our foreheads together and hang our hands off each other's waists. Then I sense someone else on the rooftop with us. At first, I don't look. I just want to stay in this bubble with Wesley. When I look, his silhouette seems familiar, too. It's a skinny guy in a black hoodie. He's standing still by the edge of the roof. His face is obscured by the hood, but it feels like he's watching the door of the club. Maybe me. I'm reminded of the man I saw waiting on Grand Avenue when I had my first date with Wesley. It couldn't be the same guy, it just can't be. I take my eyes off Wesley and look intently at the man. The tip of a cigarette glows red under his hood, and a hand reaches up, light skin I notice, and takes a cigarette from his mouth. I'm wired to think this might be David Cohen, but he's too skinny to be David. I tell myself I'm being paranoid. No way he's the same guy from the alley, he's just out here having a smoke. Wesley sees me staring, and he looks too. Everything okay? Sure, uh, of course. Sorry. I still haven't taken my eyes off the man in the hoodie. And now, Wesley's looking with me. We can't see his face. But he must see us staring at him, and other than maneuvering his cigarette, he still hasn't moved. I'm tempted to go over and confront him. With Wesley here, now's a good time as any. I muster up the courage and take one step toward the man. Then a voice startles me. Haven. Uh, good set tonight. He's so close I can feel his breath on my neck. Diego. Hard to know how to react. I've never seen Diego at a show, and I don't want to seem ungrateful that he showed up. I need all the support I can get, and I tell myself it's sweet that he's supporting me. Still... I'm here with Wesley, and Diego's just interrupted a quiet moment between us. From the way we act during group, he must know we're dating. If he's developed feelings for me, feelings I don't reciprocate, this is neither the time nor the place. All told, it's just plain awkward. Plus, he's just too close to me. Physically. I can feel his breath and smell the astringent cologne. I can feel Wesley tense up around him. Thanks for coming, Diego. For good measure, and for the first time ever, I give him a hug. His cologne is leeching into my clothes. 
Over his shoulder, I steal another glance across the roof. But I can't see the man in the hoodie anymore. He's gone. Diego locks eyes with me, as if to convey some kind of urgency. Then, as an afterthought, he looks at Wesley. Hey, man. Diego offers his hand. Wesley seems confused by the interaction, but shakes it. He isn't going anywhere, and the longer we stay here, a lone triangle on the roof deck outside the club, the stranger it seems, and the more potent the silence becomes. I get the feeling Diego wants to talk to me about something, though not in front of Wesley. If I were alone, I'd indulge him, but I just want to be with my boyfriend after a hard night and have a quiet conversation. Yep. I said boyfriend. We're on our way to dinner. I'm starving. Thank you so much for coming. See you at group. This is rude, I know, but do I really owe him anything? I don't get the sense he's trying for some kind of clumsy pickup. He's acting like he just wants to talk. But it can wait. Maybe I'll call him tomorrow when I can think straight. Sure. See you guys in group. I can tell he's dejected. He walks off, hands in his pockets. I feel sorry for him. When he's out of earshot, Wesley continues as if the interaction never happened. Stinky Rose? I know the restaurant he's talking about, up on Columbus, but I can't help making a wisecrack. What did you call me? It's about a ten-minute walk. We take ten steps across the roof when someone else beelines towards us. I expect the man in the hoodie, but... It's someone else. Mr. Pope. It's Detective Blossom. He's wearing a suit similar to the one he wore at group. Maybe it's the same one. And maybe his closet just shows a lack of imagination. At night, his features appear softer, and he's more handsome. The dim light hides the crow's feet and accents the cheekbones and cleft chin. Must be stalker day. I don't know what that means, but... I'm not here for you. I wanted a word with Miss Otomo. I'm starting to feel irritated. Maybe I'm just hungry. Are you following me? You post your shows on your website. It's not the toughest detective work I've ever done. Can I have a word? It's pertinent to the investigation. You don't have to say anything to him. Let's go to dinner. It's true. You don't have to speak to me. But I think you can provide unique insight into these cases. And I'd owe you one. Which means... what? You'll get me out of my next parking ticket? It means I'll owe you one. Please, Miss Otomo. He's a kind man. I can tell from our limited interactions. I don't know what it is about him that makes me want to help him more than Diego, but I do want to help him. I give Wesley an affectionate caress on the arm and a soft kiss on the lips. I'll be there in ten minutes. You probably won't even have a table by then. Wesley is annoyed, and I'm conscious of the fact that I've now abandoned him twice on dates. May he be patient with me, I think. I'll see you in a few minutes. I worry that the man in the hoodie is still somewhere out there and that Wesley might run into him. I don't know what would happen, but I'm worried. My eyes linger on him as he walks away, and I think about giving him a warning. But that would be stupid, wouldn't it? Wesley can take care of himself. 
What can I do for you? I wanted to get advice from the Golden Gate Angel. Who the hell is that? You've never heard of that? It's the nickname the cops gave you for saving 34 people from jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. This is news to me. But I can't help but feel a little flattered by the nickname. That's sweet. A bit weird, but sweet. Let me walk you to your restaurant. We can take care of this on the way. I'll make it quick. He wants to walk with me because that'll give him more time to ask me questions. I can't think of a polite way to refuse. After all, it's nighttime and there's a killer on the loose, right? We choose a path across the roof that leads us to a different staircase down to the street. The detective takes a route that will keep us from shadowing Wesley. I've been thinking about the cases, and there's something I can't figure out. I was hoping you could help me. How? I don't mean to say this without compassion, but between the experience you've had with your father's death and the work you do on the bridge, what do you call it, your patrol, you seem like you've had a fair amount of experience with people who are suicidal. If you want insight on suicide, shouldn't you talk to a shrink? I wanted to start with you. (sighs) There's no way to get out of this. I'm stuck. Have you ever read East of Eden, Steinbeck? High school, maybe? I don't remember much of it. There's a character in the book, a minor one, named Alice Trask, but I always remember her. She drowns herself in a shallow pond, and Steinbeck notes the will it would take to get down on your knees and keep your head underwater in a shallow pond like that. I see where he's going. These men on the tracks, they could have just thrown themselves off a platform or taken a running start into a moving train, but they didn't. They took the time to kneel down. Witnesses even said they looked like they were praying. Although, to be honest, the little I know of both these men tells me they weren't the praying types. They waited for the train to come to them. It must have been terrifying when you think about it. They had enough resolve to stay when every impulse shooting through them must have been telling them to jump out of the way and save themselves. Does that sound like your typical suicide? It doesn't. But I don't know these men. Maybe they wanted to punish themselves. Maybe they felt guilty. Back when it was one body we were dealing with, I could buy that. But two young men dying in the same way, in the same, and I hate to use this word, the same ritual, I can't figure it out. There are always copycat suicides. I was thinking about that myself. But two men who both have the same kind of discipline to wait there and let the train plow into them? It seems unlikely. I don't suppose they'd tie themselves to the tracks so they couldn't succumb to second thoughts. Good thinking, but there's no evidence of them. It sounds like you don't think these are suicides, Detective. He stops and looks me in the eye. The witch eye. I want them to be suicides, Haven. Because if they're not, it means someone got those young men to kneel on the tracks. I've noticed you're respectful when you talk about them. Respect for the dead, I guess. They weren't just young men, Detective. They were hoodlums. You know that better than I do. I'm not here to judge them, Haven. My job is to find out how they died. I stare at him with some measure of contempt, but he regards me with this bottomless compassion. I feel like I'm talking to another shrink. So, there's some phantom killer out to find the shooters from 2015, something which the police haven't been able to do, And you think this phantom killer is one of the survivors? No, 
I'm not saying that at all. Could be anyone. Could be another perp from March 25th who was affiliated with them. Could be a lot of people. What makes you think this has anything to do with a shooting that happened two years ago? For starters, they all went to the same school. <sighs> so do a lot of kids. And if memory serves, no one was in school anymore by the time they got around to shooting up that train. Still, there's a connection between all four men. We found masks at both scenes, the same kind of masks they wore in 2015. Those stupid Mexican wrestling masks? Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. What are you really trying to get from me, Detective? I was trying to see if there's still any chance both deaths could have been suicides. I don't think so, and from your reaction, I don't think you do either. How do you know the masks weren't just out there? People throw garbage on train tracks all the time. Some people live out there. The condition of the masks when we found them, the proximity to the crime scenes, the blood we found on them. I'd imagine when a train hits someone, blood pretty much gets everywhere. He pauses. I'm guessing he's going to share something with me that might not be public. At the second crime scene, someone tried to bury the mask. We found it underneath some gravel, but it still had the victim's blood on it. That's why I don't think these are suicides. He's suckered me into an interrogation. God, how was I so stupid to agree to a friendly talk with a detective? It's not impossible. It probably is. You knew all this before you came to find me. If you already know these aren't suicides, what is it you want from me? Blossom walks with his chin held high, as if he's just out to take in the sea-salted air. How well do you know the members of your therapy group? Do you think any of them could be part of something like this? You've seen the people that go to that group. You think one of them could get a hardened criminal to kneel down on a train track and wait for a locomotive to obliterate them? There isn't anyone who comes to mind. He hands me a business card, and out of politeness, I take it. If you think of anything, if you see any unusual behavior among the group, will you call me? Detective? If these men were really involved on March 25th, I honestly don't give a damn about them. I'm certainly not going to spend time and effort trying to root out my friends for you. I know I'm asking a lot. Just think about it. He gives me a slight bow. The air of formality, along with his generic good looks, remind me of a Jane Austen love interest. But a secondary one. The one who turns out to be the jerk. Perhaps believing he's gotten the most he's going to get out of me. Have a good night. When he leaves, my adrenaline's up, and my nerves are jangling. I can't help it. As I continue walking toward North Beach, the phone in my pocket buzzes. I expect it's Wesley, so I prepare to text him that I'm minutes away. Instead, I find a message from an unknown number. He has sent me a photo. It's a shot of Wesley and me on the roof deck outside of the punchline, kissing. A shot taken only minutes ago. He adds the message, Happy birthday. I shiver and look around to see if he's following me. With so many people up and down the sidewalks, he could be anywhere. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. 
Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.